Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. Science fiction as a literary genre is unique in how authors go about exploring and reimagining our reality right here and right now. Octavia Butler changed science fiction forever by bringing a black feminist critique into her stories. She is credited with forging the way to what is nowadays known as Afrofuturism, an aesthetic that mixes science, philosophy, history, science fiction, and fantasy in order to explore difficult subjects such as the effects of colonialism and the African diaspora in its many incarnations. The reading this morning is the opening of the first novel of a trilogy titled Lilith's Brood. In that trilogy, Octavia Butler explores the diaspora experience of an African-American woman and her offspring. In the books, the human race has been nearly destroyed by what Butler calls a, quote, fatal combination of intelligence and hierarchical tendencies, end quote. I think you will agree that that statement alone summarizes a great deal of what is wrong with colonialism, a fatal combination of intelligence and hierarchical tendencies. The protagonist in the first novel, Lilith, finds herself controlled by an alien race. She awakens to find that she knows almost nothing of what has already happened to her, but she knows that she keeps waking up to another day of imprisonment. Butler writes, quote, at an earlier awakening, she had decided that reality was whatever happened, end quote. Butler turns the character's experience into a metaphor for the African-American experience. Quote, it had occurred to her how many times that she might be insane or drugged, physically ill or injured. None of that mattered. It could not matter while she was confined this way, kept helpless, alone, and ignorant. End quote. Seemingly endlessly, the character finds herself incarcerated and subjected to oppressors that she only dimly recognizes. The novel is titled Dawn, and Dawn for Lilith means awakening to yet another day of oppression. We got, we got to hear a similar idea expressed just this week at the White House on Friday uh, by Katanji Brown Jackson when she said, quote, it has taken 232 years and 115 prior appointments for a black woman to be selected to serve on the Supreme Court of the United States, end quote. That's a lot of mornings to wake up to the same old, same old. By the way, Lilith's mantra by the end of the novel is learn and run, which I'll come back to. In Lilith's Brood, Octavia Butler is exploring a trope that we all know, endless recurrence. In American popular culture, probably the best known use of the trope is the movie Groundhog Day. As the protagonist in the film says, well, what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. 
The Lilith's Brood trilogy was published previous to the appearance of the movie Groundhog Day, and the trope is considerably older than that. One source is the Asian understanding of reincarnation. We're on the wheel of samsara, life in this world, and we have the opportunity to refine ourselves in this incarnation. This does describe the plot of Groundhog Day in which a surly, cynical weather guy slowly gets out of his own head. In Octavia's Butler, Butler's fictional world, however, there is very little chance that things are going to get better for Lilith. Her only option is survival. Now, most of us are not caught in an endlessly recurring plot. At least, uh, we're not in a book or a movie anyway. However, the 19th century German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche thought that thinking about eternal recurrence helps us find our own worldview and refine how we wish to face life. Echo Homo, How One Becomes What One Is, is a book that Nietzsche wrote, and in it he said this, what if someday or night a demon were to steal into your loneliest loneliness and say to you, this life as you now live and have lived it you will have to live once again and innumerable times again, and there will be nothing new in it but every pain and every joy and every thought and sigh and everything unspeakably small or great in your life must return to you all in the same succession and sequence. Even this spider and this moonlight between the trees and even this moment and even I myself. Now, unlike Lilith's brood or Groundhog Day, Nietzsche's concept of eternal recurrence has no tomorrow. It is endless, and there is no way out of the wheel of samsara, and there's no way to reboot your life. Nietzsche imagines us in the moment, right now, forever. Now, why does he close off his account of recurrence? Well, to emphasize the power of acting in this moment. Now is the time you can act differently than before, the now. For Nietzsche, there are no do-overs, no second chances. None of us will ever pass this way again. All this to underline his view of human reality and how to develop an attitude of acceptance and appreciation rather than a drive to control at home in the here and now as FUS aspirations would have it. Right now, what is the right thing to do? What's the right way to live on this planet right now? And of course, that's not an academic question. It's how we clarify our values and our purpose in life. Uh, but wait, uh, in Nietzsche's conception of eternal recurrence, he assumes a blank slate for the past. The past is gone, long time ago, forget about your past and act now, now, now. But Octavia uh, Butler's character Lilith, even though she only dimly remembers a past, is trapped exactly because of what happened in the past. 
even though she had no agency at all to change anything, and even though the past is not her fault. Lilith is paying for other people's mistakes and misdeeds. That is a large part of her now, just as in the case of our new Supreme Court justice. The fact that Nietzsche could imagine a historical now is telling. It's ahistorical in his way of thinking. It tells us that Europe's colonial past is largely irrelevant to Nietzsche and his thinking because he thought it could be ignored. Just as many Euro-American people today dismiss talk of restitution for enslavement and colonialism by saying, it was a long time ago and it wasn't me. Now actually, it's unfair to Nietzsche to imply that he did not see each of us as a product of our social assumptions, even though in the case of this concept of re uh, eternal recurrence, he did leave that part out. In point of fact, he was one of the first people to see human beings as bound inextricably to social conventions. The title of one of his books is usually translated into English as The Genealogy of Morals. Morality can be traced, he taught us. Ideas have a family tree, and they are created by social forces, as are we. Nietzsche thought, for example, that Christianity had functioned socially to create subservient people. He saw his philosophy as an anecdote to that, antidote. However, the point I'm making is that European whiteness, exactly because it has been the dominant social construct in Europe and its many colonies, can pretend to have no past because it's so huge, can pretend that the society we find ourselves living in is not a very human creation, but it is. We see a powerful example of this way of thinking in the present suffering in Ukraine. Yes, it's easy for many of us to see good guys and bad guys in this current situation. But the war in Ukraine comes down to a war of ideas, actually, with a very long genealogy, as Nietzsche would call it. A genealogy of empires, of religions, of East versus West, past warfare, concepts of government, concepts of just and unjust ways of making war, and on and on and on. Yes, the killing is a social construct. Octavia Butler's characters cannot avoid their historical circumstances, but they can refuse to be victims of their historical circumstances. That insight is why younger women of color nowadays use the trilogy's title, Lilith's Brood, to describe themselves. Afrocentrism is a way of looking the past squarely in the face and then seeing a different sort of future from the one imagined and dictated by Euro-whiteness. Butler's original name for the trilogy, by the way, was not Lilith's Brood, but rather exogenesis, all right? Xeno, that, that nice Greek word there, xeno as in xenophobia, as in foreigner, right, or alien. In this case, black women were used by aliens, foreigners, as a sexual commodity to bear a new race of creatures. Ah, 
Sounds kind of like American history, doesn't it? Xenogenesis was exactly what was forced on many enslaved African women. But back to Groundhog Day. Danny Rubin wrote the original screenplay for Groundhog Day. The movie got lackluster reviews when it came out back in 1991, I think it was. It has since become a cultural phenomenon, however, as we all know. The movie's used to teach Buddhist precepts. It's even used to talk about the cycle of substance abuse. And many dissertations for PhDs in philosophy have been written about Groundhog Day and Nietzsche's concept of eternal recurrence, if you want to go back and get another PhD or so. <laughs> By the way, when he wrote the script, Rubin had never read Nietzsche or Octavia Butler. In showbiz parlance, Rubin is a one-hit wonder. He sold the rights to Groundhog Day in the early 1990s, and he hasn't sold much since that time. The thing uh, is, he sold almost all of the rights, but uh, he did hold on to a musical, because who would make a musical out of that movie, right? Well, he has sold a few other things, but in Hollywood, some of you know, they change things so much you don't even recognize your own idea. One of the few intellectual property rights was that musical thing, and interestingly enough, isn't Mr. Reuben caught in a Groundhog Day sort of thing? All he gets to think about for the rest of his life is profiting off Groundhog Day. So, uh, where are you and me on this map of recurrences? Think about it. Are you in Octavia Butler's post-apocalyptic world of oppression and survival? Are you in the Groundhog Day loop of cynicism about work and relationships and life in general? Are you in Nietzsche's eternal recurrence in the moment and structuring your life in full knowledge that this is the only one and the only chance? Or a little of all of those. There is a common element in all of these imaginings besides recurrence. Each scenario is about taking responsibility and using what little, often, your personal power is. The taking personal responsibility part is why Groundhog Day is shown to people locked in the cycle of substance abuse. It feels as if there's no way out, but there is, first by realizing that the cycle of addiction looks like this, and you can stop it. The taking personal responsibility part is why a generation of young writers of color call themselves Lilith's Brood. The taking personal responsibility part is why Frederick Nietzsche's eternal recurrence thought experiment is discussed and imagined more than a century after he thought of it. You, me, whatever our circumstances, we can grab the present moment and wrestle a better outcome out of the circumstances. That's what they're all saying. As I mentioned earlier, the mantra that Octavia Butler gives to Lilith, learn and run, is at first glance a dire warning. Learn and run. But the mantra can also be a call to action, and it becomes that in the novels. Learn and run. Learn quickly and get to work now. 
This has often been the advice of those who have thought deeply about life. Here's a passage from the philosopher Epictetus, written 2,000 years ago. He says this, How long are you planning to wait to demand the best of yourself? How long will you act without reason? You know the principles. So what kind of teacher are you waiting for? What is your excuse for delay? You aren't a child anymore. You neglect, you procrastinate, you laze around, you say, I'll start next week, next month, sometime. You, and so you go on doing nothing, living and dying like the majority. Think, now, right now, is the time to grow up. He goes on, consider your principles as if they are laws. Pleasure, accomplishment, embarrassment, everything is an opportunity for practice. The Olympics are now, he says. They cannot be postponed. This is a challenge to be lost or won, end quote. 2,000 years ago, but it sounds pretty like us today. As you see, there are several smart, creative people saying very much the same thing, which is, get to work right now. They challenge us to be our best selves right now. Epictetus said it plainly, how long are you planning to wait to demand the best of yourself? End quote. And yeah, whether you are a weather person from Pittsburgh a hermit philosopher, incarcerated, or stuck in whatever way, the wisdom is clear. It is not too late. Start now, learn, and run. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism, and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.